Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word, Jesus. I'm asking for the spirit of revelation to land upon us this morning. I ask, God, that you would open the eyes of our understanding, I pray. Draw us into light. Draw us into light. And I'm asking, God, that you would unfold mysteries to us today. Would you stand with me, hold my hand, let me speak as an oracle. And I pray that the word of God would penetrate not only our hearts, but the very atmosphere of the city. I pray that you would release power on the gospel this morning. It's by your grace and to your grace that we look. So we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, find with me in your Bible the, uh, the book of Ephesians. And we're going to just pick up kind of where we left off uh, last week. And we're talking about biblical spiritual warfare. And uh, we kind of laid out a few thoughts last week. And one of the main things that I said was that I'd heard, I've heard lots of preaching on spiritual warfare um, over the years. And, um, and much of what I think I've heard, and, you know, and I'm, I'm assuming that's kind of a, a good test case or template for what most people have heard uh, that have been in Christ for a little while. But uh, most of what I've heard seemed to kind of encourage you just to sort of rev yourself up and be strong and, and, uh, and it, it kind of tends to getting in the flesh a little bit and, and, you know, getting yourself amped up. And as we begin to look at it last week, we're going to find out this, that uh, the Scripture actually lays out a whole different um, foundation for believers uh, entering and engaging into spiritual warfare uh, than that whole, you know, idea of just getting, you know, sort of, you know, stirred up in your flesh or, or getting, you know, energized in some sort of charismatic fit. And so uh, what we did is we talked about last week, Paul, the Apostle Paul, and how he uh, lays out for us one of the key uh, verses in Second Corinthians 10 on spiritual warfare. And he says, what we're doing is we're, we're changing things that are in the minds of men. He says, we're casting down strongholds and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And, and he says, the way that we do it, he goes, I've got divine weapons. And they're not carnal, but they are, they're spiritually powerful. And so when he explains that, he goes, there's basically saying there's proclamations that I release that change the way men think. And, uh, and he, but he, before he even said any of that, he lays out this. He says, he goes, I appeal by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. And so what we find out is this, that Paul lays out as the necessary prerequisite. This is an important, huge point. The necessary prerequisite for believers to engage into spiritual warfare is meekness of heart and 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 an identification of your own weakness, but God's ability. And that's why he starts off in Ephesians 6, that spiritual warfare chapter, where he says, Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Being strong in the Lord and the power of His might equals this. I need to re, uh, understand that I'm weak in myself and in my own abilities. I have, no, I have no strength in me, but my strength is in the Lord. And so understanding that uh, you have to be strong in the Lord lays a foundation for us that when we're, when we're coming at this issue of spiritual warfare, it's not like we can stir ourselves up in our own ability, but... We lean on the Lord. We trust in the grace of God. We, we look to God in recognition of our own weakness and our own frailty. We look to God, trusting in Him with bold confidence in God, but, but uh, aware of our own frailty. And it's from there that real authority is released. So we kind of laid that out last week, and we went through a, a bit of Ephesians 6. I'm going to go through the rest of it uh, this morning. But I, what I really want to do is I want to start off, and I want to explain again, the, uh, the setting for Paul writing to the Ephesian church. And then I want to just sort of, I want to teach a little bit and lay out the book of Ephesians. Um, you know, I think sometimes we get rolling in the epistles and in the New Testament, and we just don't, we don't really get the context. We haven't done much background uh, to understand why are they saying what they're saying why is the Apostle Paul saying these things to, to, to the church at Ephesus? Why is he saying this to, to uh, the church at Corinth? Well, those uh, points, you know, the reasons why, they give us a lot of insight into the content. And, um, and so, in Ephesians, 
Uh, when Paul is writing to this church, first of all, you have to understand, this is a, a group of believers that Paul was the first one to bring the gospel to. So he is uh, the first that went to, to preach in Ephesus. And, and so he has a great affinity and love for this, this uh, young church. Now, his uh, proclamation there in Ephesus bore much fruit and many were converted. It also stirred the city up in a, in a big way and much tumult happened as well. And so he, he was uh, dealing with a group of believers that he, that he was in a wonderful relationship with. And, and when Paul says to them in, uh, in Acts 20, he says, listen, uh, I, he passes through there on his way to Jerusalem. He knows he's going to be arrested. And he tells them, you guys will never see my face again. It says that the elders, they restrained Paul. They didn't want to let him go. And they grabbed him and it says they fell on his neck. I mean, they tackled him, held him, and kissed him and cried over him. He's in, my point is, he's in really good relationship with these guys. This is his fam. I mean, he, he loves these guys. And so uh, there's a real intimacy going on. So when Paul writes to the church of Ephesus, imagine how it would be for you. This is the Apostle Paul. He's your father in the Lord. He's birthed the church, brought you out of idol worship. He's out there doing ministry and uh, you know, missions work and planting other works, and he's writing to you, and this is the guy that's credited with essentially your salvation and the birthing of your church. You would really pay attention to him. So when Paul's writing to the, the church of, of Ephesus, I think they are really tuning in to, okay, this is like our dad and the Lord. What's he saying? And let's take it real seriously. Now, Paul also would have thought the same thing, that these guys are going to pay attention to what I'm saying. They're going to follow it. And, and so I think when he's laying this out, he is speaking directly into their circumstances, and he's helping the young church uh, with tools. He's equipping them with tools in how they can overcome the main challenges in their city. Now, the main challenges in their city was idol worship and sexual immorality. Those are the two main things. We talked about it last week, and we mentioned that the Temple of Diana, which was one of the wonders of the ancient world, was right there in the city of Ephesus. And Ephesus was a crossroads of uh, all these different places in Asia Minor and, and throughout that part of the world. Many would come through Ephesus, and it was a, a major trade city. It was right there on a trade route, and it was a major city for pilgrims coming to worship uh, Diana or Artemis, same, same uh, Greek goddess. And so... Uh, she was uh, essentially a, a uh, false goddess that is uh, what we would identify as the spirit of Jezebel. You know, there was much sexual immorality that went along with the worship of Diana. And, uh, and so, when we look at the book of Ephesians, I want you to hear me now, because we've been talking about the Lord pushing back the spirit of perversion, and, and we've talked about the spirit of Jezebel and that idea. When we look at the book of Ephesians, what you have is this. You have an apostolic letter from the father of the church and he's giving them a guidebook in how to overcome the spirit of Jezebel in their city. That's really what the book of Ephesians is. And I would say to anybody who uh, understands this struggle and this challenge and this battle that we face in, in our city, uh, the book of Ephesians is a... <laughs> Really important document for us to, to take into account. In fact, there's two letters to the Ephesians in the Bible. One's the, from the Apostle Paul and one's from Jesus in the book of Revelation, chapter 2. Both of them, both of them are geared at overcoming uh, the spirit of perversion through love. That's what, that's what the, the whole thing is. Spiritual warfare based in love that overcomes the spirit of perversion. And so, we need to get our mind around this book. I, and I, I love this book. I, someday, I'm not sure exactly the context, but I would love to teach verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. It's just that chunky. It would be, I mean, it would be an inc a wonderful teaching uh, encounter. I would, I would just, I would love it. I, I, it's, it's so rich. 
So I want to I lay out for you. If you're taking notes, I want you to write these down for your further study at a later time. And this is what happened to me. I'll just explain to you. I've had several serious, dark battles in the spirit in my life. Serious for me, uh, you know, you listen to other guys like prolific demon caster outer guys and they have demons manifesting in the fle- uh, in, you know, physical realm to them and that's way beyond anything I've ever encountered. But uh, several times where my, uh, my emotions and my mental state was so uh, just barraged by the, uh, barraged by the, 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 the dark side, the, the spirit of uh, the devil, the, the spirit of Antichrist just coming against my mind. And uh, there's been a couple of seasons when I've gone through that. And one of them, I was just in a place where I, I, uh, I could not. It was, it was the hardest thing to even recall Bible verses. And when I was trying to read the Bible, I, I, wouldn't, I, I couldn't connect the dots. It wasn't making any sense to me. And my mind was just really under a, a serious assault. And so what I did was, and I just believe the Lord, because I, I was just like, help God, because I don't have anything else I can do but help God. Just say, help God, and, uh, which he loves that. He loves when we express our weakness and cry out for him, to him for help. And so what I did was I opened the Bible, and I just felt I'm supposed to read Ephesians. Now, this is before I understood the context and the background of it, really. So I, I read, and I begin to try to read the book of Ephesians, and I can't, it's not, it won't compute. It won't go in my brain. So what I end up doing is I just begin to read it out loud over myself. I read the scripture over myself. And do you know what ends up happening? That darkness just begins to lift right off of my mind. And it was then that I realized that this book is a, it's what Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 10. It's one of those proclamations that shifts the uh, negative thoughts and the, the, the strongholds that try to attach themselves to people's minds. This book is actually one of those proclamations, the whole book. And it is, a, it is like I said, a guidebook for a church that's trying to overcome the spirit of Jezebel in their city, period. So let me lay it out for you. If you're taking notes, Paul goes through essentially four main themes. And I just want to lay these out for you. The first theme in chapter 1 is intimacy and inheritance. And he talks about the love of God, how much he uh, delights and desires people, and then he points them to the inheritance that they've received in, in, in Christ. Even the uh, great Ephesians par- prayer for revelation and light, it's a, it is a call to know the beauty of the Lord and to comprehend the inheritance that we have in him. So it's a, it's a uh, the, chapter one is a drawing near, it's a call to draw the believers near to the Lord and that they would comprehend what they have in God, what they have available in God. The, uh, he, he's giving the, the idea of the, the power of redemption and what believers have, have, uh, have attained through salvation. Now secondly, chapter two, second theme. He goes in detail and explains the uh, benefit and blessing of salvation. In the first one, he says, God loves you. He likes you. And this is what your inheritance is in God. In chapter 2, he goes, this is how you get that inheritance. Through salvation and in Christ, by grace, are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. And, and he goes through that chapter and lays out the, uh, the details of the great salvation that we've become partakers of. Then thirdly, chapter 3, he gives God's eternal plan. Now, this is really, really important because I don't think Ephesians 6 makes any sense without Ephesians 3. I'll just say that again. Ephesians 6 doesn't make any sense without Ephesians 3. And that's really a, a, just a seriously important point if we're going to engage in spiritual warfare. I don't know about you, but I feel like I was made for war. I feel like I'm supposed to engage in warfare. I feel like it's part of what we do. And in the New Testament, there's so many verses that lay out the idea that, hey, we fight a good fight of faith. That's what we do. Now, I do it according to his uh, strength. I haven't always done it that way, but I, <laughs> I'm learning to... to uh, uh, Enjoy my weakness as Paul did, 
and trust in the Lord and, and you know, go for uh, the, the battle in the strength of the Lord and not in my flesh. So in Ephesians 3, he gives us God's eternal plan, and, and here's what he does. First seven verses, he says, there's one new man, Jew and Gentile, are brought, brought together through Christ Jesus. He goes, this is a mystery, but it's always been God's agenda. One, the one new man reality, Ephesians 3, 1 through 7. And then he gives us, in my mind, the centerpiece of the whole book. The centerpiece of the book comes in verse 8 through 11. And that is the explanation of God's plan. The explanation of God's eternal plan. What is he doing? And I want to read these verses. So look at them in Ephesians 3, verse 8. I don't think I gave these to the, to the overhead, so you just got to look at your own Bible. I'm going to read from the NIV because I just like how it, it, it clarifies some of the language over the NKJV here. And Paul said in verse 8, he says this. He goes, although I am less than the least of all God's people. Look at Paul's humility is just over the top. Because I am less than the least of all God's people. He goes, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery or how this mystery, the mystery of God's plan, the one new man, how this mystery gets administrated. He goes, my, my job is to make it plain which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things, his intent was that now, now he's going to explain the mystery, that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. He goes, this is the intent, that now the church would make known the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. He says, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now the eternal purpose that God accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord was the redemption of humankind through the cross. The foolishness of the cross is the eternal purpose that God accomplished through Jesus Christ. That God would become a man, he would die, and through death, God would destroy the works of the the devil. Now, Now, that just seems backwards, but that's the mystery. That God humbles himself to the point of death, even the death of a cross, that God highly exalts Jesus, and he gets exalted above every name. And ultimately, he destroys the works of the devil. That's the mystery. That's what he's talking about. The mystery that he worked, that he accomplished in Christ Jesus. And so he says, according to that mystery, the church is to make known to the principalities and powers the wisdom of God. According to the cross. So the idea is this. The church is supposed to walk out living the cross as a means to destroy the works of the devil, as a testimony of the wisdom of God to principalities and powers that rule and reign over cities and regions. And so when the church embraces the cross, and what I mean by that is this, putting aside self-preference, putting aside getting your own way, putting aside I want, I need, me, 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 selfish consumerism, Putting all that aside and saying yes to pouring yourself out and laying your life down in love. When the church will live the cross day in and day out, preferring others above yourself, blessing those who persecute them, doing good to those who despitefully use them, loving their enemies, that's the cross. Day in and day out, when we love our enemies, when we give ourselves to those things that are not our preferences. Remember Jesus, when he, when he went to the cross, he said, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. 
What was he saying? He's saying, God, in this moment, the weight of the sin of all humankind upon me, causing me to sweat blood, and the fact that I'm about to go and be tortured and and mutilated and put to death, that's not my preference right now. So, if this cup can pass, if there's another way, then give me that. But ultimately, I want your will. And so, the wisdom of the cross is this. That God would die and destroy the devil. And that which the church is supposed to manifest to the principalities and powers is putting aside our own will, just as Jesus did, saying no to our personal preferences, and saying yes to God's will, even to the point of death, unto expressing the victory of Christ in this realm where the kingdom of God comes and dispels the works of darkness. When the church will get off of I want, I need, and me, 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 and she'll begin to give herself into giving and serving and loving without expectation of return and, 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 and giving herself, pouring herself out, That is a living manifestation of the cross. It demonstrates the wisdom of God to the principalities and powers, and it walks out the victory of Jesus in the earth. Beloved, when the church does that, it's like what he said in Ephesians 3.20. He says, glory to him in the church. The glory of God is manifest in the church. When the church will live live death, then she will experience resurrection. Are you guys with me? And so this, this is what the deal is. He goes, this is the manifold wisdom of God, that through weakness, he destroys the devil. Through humility, he humiliates the enemy. Do you see it? Through laying your life down and pouring yourself out, that releases divine power that testifies of God's wisdom that overcomes principalities and powers and might and dominion. Does that make sense? So right there in the center of Ephesians 3, he gives us the intention of God. He goes, to this intent, this is his intention, that the church would do dramatic spiritual warfare and manifest the wisdom of God all over the earth. Beloved, with that in mind, I want to say this. We need revival. I mean, my goodness. Oh, that the church would walk out the cross. I need revival. I need to get off my own self-preferential, you know, personal protection of my stuff and, and learn how to live the cross and giving and serving and loving without expectation of, of reciprocation. Come on. Jesus, he, he, he loved without expectation of reciprocation. He died for all, knowing billions would hate him. He died for all. So we don't serve and bless to get something back. Our churches can't just serve and give because it does something good for us. And we can't live that way personally. We need to serve and bless and get nothing back. That's the cross. We need to say no to what we desire and yes to to what God desires. We need to say no to to what we would prefer to do and allow that person to, to be preferred before us. He goes, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, being conformed to the image of death. That is our calling as the church, beloved. That is so different than what we think of as church. This is who we're to be, a living, breathing example of sacrifice and service and love and giving. Not because of, ouch, it hurts, because I love you, God. We lay it out. We lay ourselves down just like Jesus laid himself down on the cross because of love. We lay ourselves down because of love. And you know what it does? It shifts things in the spiritual realm. When the church will live the cross, it demonstrates God's wisdom and power. 
This is the core issue. I tell you, spiritual warfare is not mostly about special prayer gatherings and conferences. Now, we just did a conference with a special prayer gathering. So, hello, I believe in those. It's not mostly about that, though. It's mostly about believers living day in and day out the value system that accords with righteousness. For that, beloved, is a manifestation of the kingdom of God come in the earth. That is, hear me, supremely powerful in the demonic ranks. For the enemy cannot gain entrance when the church will live the values of the kingdom. And oh, that we would live the values of the kingdom. Quit living our lives Everything, trying to get more for myself. Everything, trying to protect me. Everything, looking out for number one. Some of our key slogans, just got to look out for number one. That's demonic wisdom. It's not the wisdom from above. That's earthly, sensual. James calls it demonic. Paul said, look out for others. First, prefer them before you. So there's a, there's a whole different mentality that we're supposed to have in that which we live out, and that is what destroys demon strongholds when the church would selflessly give herself away. So to me, to do a 21-day fast over the issue of homosexuality for people I don't even know, this isn't, this isn't the idea that I'm going to do a 21-day fast so I can stick my chest out and become something in people's eyes and look spiritual. That's dumb. Who cares? Who cares what your opinion is anyway? You know, your opinion of another person's opinion gets you zero on the judgment day. None. Zip. Their opinion of you doesn't buy you anything before Christ. This isn't the issue. The issue is this. I want to lay my life down for a people that I don't even know, I want to demonstrate the wisdom of the cross unto salvation for others. I'm believing for mass deliverance to break out on July 25th. And the, the, the demon hordes that control people's lives, they can't stop the cross. They can't stop it when people will lay themselves down for others. Beloved, that's what we're doing. So to go up there and stand for three hours and do a little prayer and tell a few people Jesus loves them and maybe get yelled at and cussed out a little bit, that's good and easy, and we can do such a thing to shift spiritual environments. So Paul puts that right there in the middle, and then he says, now here. Now what I'm going to do is explain to you how to walk out God's mystery, how to walk out God's plan. He goes, this is the plan that the church would do spiritual warfare by living the values of the kingdom, by living the cross. Now here's how you do it. And what he does is he goes from right from there, right from Ephesians 3.14, he goes all the way to, to chapter 6, verse 9. And he goes, here's how you walk it out. It's so, this book is so cool. It's a guidebook to how you, you do real spiritual warfare. So then he says this, verse 14. Now we finally get our prayer that we pray all the time in context. For this reason. For what reason? For the reason that you're going to lay your life down and demonstrate the cross and the wisdom of God to the principalities and powers in, in, the, in the heavenly places. For that reason, I pray for you. What do you pray, Paul? That you would have might in your inner man according to the revelation of God's love. Because if you're going to lay your life down Live the cross. You need spiritual might to fill your soul. And the only way you're going to get spiritual might to fill your soul is the motivator of love. For this reason. For what reason? The reason that you're going to, you're going to need grace and might to lay your life down. He goes, I pray for you. And he prays that we would know the height, the width, the depth, the length, to know the love of God, which passes knowledge. We'd be filled with all the fullness of God. He goes, you need might on the inside if you're going to live this way. And the way you get might on the inside... Number one, way you walk out this mystery, number one, he goes, you need intimacy. Some people think, oh man, they're just all into the intimacy message. They just, you know, Father Heart and Song of Solomon, that weird little book, and they're just always just sitting there loving on God and never doing anything. 
Well, let me tell you something. If you're going to engage in spiritual warfare in any, at any level, the first thing Paul said was, you need might, and you get might by love. You need to flow back and forth in love with God if you're going to do anything powerful. You need might in your inner man. Beloved, I think that's half of our problem right now is that we don't have might because we don't know love. So we try to do stuff to shift things, and guess what? It doesn't work. We try to stand against demon princes, and guess what? We get our butts kicked. Praise God. Why? Because we don't have might. And we don't have might. Why? Because we don't know love. I want to propose this. If we fell in love, our soul would be filled with might. If our soul was filled with might, we could then engage in carrying out the administration of the mystery, walking the cross, and being powerful in, 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 in the spirit. Amen. So he says, it's first, you walk this out through intimacy. And then he says, you walk it out through living the cross. And he gives us all these different lifestyle things you've got to do to live the cross. I'll just name them for you real quick and give you verses. If you're, if you're taking notes, write them down, study it, check it out. He goes, this is how you live the cross. He goes, first, fall in love, get might on the inside. Now to walk out living the cross, here's what you do. Number one, you walk in unity. Verse chapter four, one through six. You want to get, you want to, I mean, he just starts with the hardest thing first, probably. You want to deal with living the cross? Get, try getting in unity with somebody. I mean, beloved. It's hard enough to get in unity with like your spouse who you love and would throw yourself in front of a train for. I mean, it's hard enough to get in unity with that person. Come on, married people. All right. So that's challenging. He goes, no, no, no. I want everybody to be in unity. I want the bond of perfection and love to flow with everybody. He goes, we're walking out the cross now, guys. Let's get in unity, number one. It's chapter four, one through six. And then he says, now, know that the ministry gifts, receive the ministry gifts. They're given for your edification. He goes, now, now that you're in unity, he goes, embrace your leadership. God gives leadership so that we can go and grow up. That's what he says. Chapter four, seven through 16, he gives it to us. Thirdly, he goes, now, now that you're in unity and now that you're walking together under leadership in the proper way and the gifts that God's given in the church, the uh, pastors and apostles and evangelists and prophets and teachers, he goes, now resist the flesh and the old nature. Say no to the old sins. That's what he says. Chapter, and he does that. And he says, uh, chapter 4 through 17 through chapter 5, 7. He goes, resist the old nature for real. All the unfruitful deeds of darkness, don't do those anymore. Don't lie, don't, don't speak evil, and he goes, don't get into lust. Don't, he names about like 25 things. He's being real specific. He goes, don't do any of that old junk anymore. He goes, put on the new man, walk in the light, expose the unfruitful deeds of darkness. That's what he says in that whole chunk. Then, he says, this is how we're living the cross. You need to walk in the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit. He goes, foundation of love, Get in unity. Follow your leadership. Resist the old nature. Be filled with the Spirit and walk in the Spirit. You know, the the Scripture never tells us, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, and then just leaves you hanging. He goes, these are the things you don't want to do, but the, the counter of that is, do this. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Sing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Make melody in your heart of the Lord. He goes, worship God and be free and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Because that's way better than the old sins of your flesh. That's the point. Because this is how you're walking out the cross. And then he says, all right, you want to do the cross? Proper family life. (laughs) Ephesians 5, verse 22 through chapter 6, verse 4. Proper family life. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. What's he saying? Do the cross in your family, dad. Do the cross in your family, husband. This is how you do it. And, the, and all the wives will praise God. He's got to give himself for me. And he goes, you're not left out either, ladies. Submit. This is how we do the cross. That's how he does it. He takes us through Christian proper family. And I'm, I'm of this mind. If we can't live the values and the culture of the kingdom in our home, everything else is false. Come on. 
We've got to be able to live them in our home. It doesn't matter if I come to IHOP 60 hours a week. If I go home and I'm, you know, mean to my wife and, and, and yell at my kids and, and I'm not caring and I don't listen, I'm not compassionate, we don't pray. And I'm, you know, I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm just all flesh at home and praise God, all spiritual. And I, that's false. He goes, I'm wanting the church to be in unity, to be under their leadership. He goes, I want them to, to get rid of all the old works of the flesh. He goes, I want them to be filled with the Spirit. He goes, I want them to live the cross in their families. Husbands, lay your lives down for your wives. Because you want to live the cross, start it there. And then he goes, and children, you're not exempt either. Obey your parents. <laughs> Chapter 6. He's hitting us everywhere with the cross. Do you get it? Do the cross in the family. Do the cross, children. Do the cross, husbands. Do the, do the cross, wives. And then he goes, by the way, when you go to work, chapter 6, verse 5 through 9, have a proper work ethic. So he goes, he goes, you need to serve your masters as unto the Lord. So he hits a broad spectrum that covers basically most of the believer's life And he says, this is how we live the intention of God. This is how we carry out the mystery. By living the cross everywhere. Everywhere. And then, he says in verse 10, be strong in the Lord. In the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God. Beloved, it's not until he tells us about intimacy... And he he prays for us to be alive in intimacy. It's not until he does that that he actually tells us to, to, to do the cross. And it's not until he tells us about the revelation of the beauty of Jesus that he calls us into Ephesians 3, intimacy with him. Ephesians 1, he's beautiful. Find out everything about him. He goes, I pray for you, the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God. The eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. Chapter 3, he goes, oh, and you want to start walking out this mystery? Get might in your inner man. So it's not until he tells us about intimacy that he tells, I mean, tells us about revelation of who he is, the beauty of God, until he tells us about intimacy. And it's not until he tells us about intimacy until he tells us about walking out the cross. And beloved, it's not until he tells us about the beauty of God, intimacy, and walking walking out the cross. It's not until he tells us all that until he tells us finally about spiritual warfare. Do you get it? This is the recipe. This book is awesome. I want to go verse by verse sometime. It's the recipe for overcoming Jezebel and their city. They were possessed with Jezebel. You want a hairy demon, Jezebel demon? They had it. Through Paul's preaching, revival breaks out. And it's mopped up through the Apostle John. And, and it's within one generation, the entire cult of Diana is dissolved and is no more by the end of the first century. That's powerful spiritual warfare. How'd they do it? They called the believers to love and walking out the cross and revelation of the beauty of Jesus and then engaging in warfare. And even in the warfare, he says, now remember, Here's the lifestyle practices. And that's what we went over last week. We went over the different lifestyle practices that Paul lays out in that armor, in that that warfare discussion. That spiritual warfare discussion is still, again, about embracing biblical truths and living with those as your aim. And that's what enables you to be strong in the Lord and, and in the power of His might. It's those practices. So, you guys are still with me, right? Let's flip over to Ephesians 6. And with that in mind, let's look again at those lifestyle practices. I maybe should have given you that about the book of Ephesians last time, but hey, you got it this time. So, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. We've talked about that. That's about embracing your own weakness and in meekness approaching these issues. You don't go in there in spiritual warfare thinking you're the man. You go in there in recognition of your own weakness and God's power. That's the point. 
His power. Strong in the Lord, in the power of His might. This comes from the apostle who talked about how he glories in weakness. How he takes pleasure in insults. <laughs> I remember reading that thinking, oh my gosh. He takes pleasure in insults. Thank you so much for calling me a scumbag. Thank you. He takes pleasure. And he goes on, verse 12, he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against and principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness and heavenly places. He gives us the four levels of demon authority that we, that we wrestle against. Beloved, I want to emphasize this. I want to emphasize this. Emphasize this. We're not fighting people. It doesn't matter if a person says something rough to you. If they do something rough, you don't fight people. You're fighting demon powers. We've got to get that. We can't be all, you know, I think sometimes when issues tend to hit the political realm, all of a sudden we just sort of set aside our Christianity and all become Republicans or something. Listen, God's not a Republican. He's the creator of the universe. Do you know how far above Republicanism God is? Oh my gosh. Let's, assign, let's align ourselves with him and let's get the values of the kingdom. And let's, let's do that. And let's not, let's not you know, sidetrack and get focused on individuals as our problem. Verse 14. We touched it last week. I'm just going to touch these again and then I'm going to expound on the ones that I didn't touch. So stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on breast, the breastplate of righteousness. Here we get it. Number one, love truth. Love truth, even when it hurts. He goes, the first thing, the first way to engage in warfare, love truth. Love truth. Let all the, the, the dissidents, all that, that falsehood, all the, the things that are dissonant in your heart, let those things go and love truth. Be single-minded. Be single-focused. Speak what you live and live what you speak. Love the truth even when it hurts, even when you're exposed. Love the truth. Love the truth. Then he goes, and put on righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness is living, hungering, and thirsting for righteousness every single day. God, I love what you love, and I want to hate what you hate. Oh, God, I want to pursue righteousness. I don't even want to have the garment that smells like, you know, even like it's been touched by the flesh, God. I want to live my life completely pursuing righteousness. Whatever righteousness is, make, it, make me aware of it. I want to go after that. There is a beauty that comes with righteousness. You get arrayed like a diadem the Bible tells us, in the hand of the king. The beauty of holiness. It's glorious. It's what the world longs for. The problem is we just, we just look to, you know, commercialism and, and makeup and, and weight loss and all these other things. And he goes, no, there's a beauty in holiness. He goes, pursue righteousness. And I just said it last week that, you know, if you're, if you're loving the truth and you're pursuing righteousness, that covers about 90% of it. You can't get, you know, you won't, you, you won't be listening and loving lies if you're loving truth, and you're not going to be going and doing dumb stuff if you're pursuing righteousness. It, it covers like most of it. All right. And he goes on. Verse 15. He says, uh, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This is simple. Just, all it means is just be ready to peacefully proclaim the truth of, G- of Jesus to people. And I explained last week how I would try to battle people down sometimes and felt like I had to defend Jesus. And that's not, the, that's not the point. You don't have to defend Jesus. He's plenty big. He's plenty strong. He can plenty defend himself. Amen. This is just simply having a, a readiness to tell people, hey, you know what? The whole Jesus thing, you know what it's all really about? God loves you. It's a gospel of peace. He's trying to have a relationship with you. There's a gap between you and him. There's enmity between you and him. He's trying to become the peacemaker for you. Always just ready, just just ready to tell people, hey, Jesus loves you. We don't understand the power of a simple gospel proclamation in the midst of a challenging environment, how much that will stir things in the spirit. Verse 16, he says, above all, take the shield of faith 
which is able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and I talked about this last week, it's simply trusting Jesus. Trusting him. When things go well, when things go bad. When you got a ton of money, when you got no money. When everybody's for you, when everybody's against you, what do you do? Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. You side with Jesus. You get on Jesus' team. You trust him. You know what? If you'll just simply trust Jesus, you know what that does? It quenches every attack of the enemy. That is stunning. That sounds so simplistic. If you'll simply trust him through everything, when it's going well, when it's going bad, when they said stuff about you, when they did it, whatever the trial is, if you just simply trust him, he says it'll quench all the fiery darts. So good. And then, verse 17. This is where we left off last week. It says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Two, two more points. The helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. The helmet of salvation. As I described last week, you know, I used to just think of these things as little things you just sort of say and you sort of put armor on and now you got a, your helmet. you got a helmet on somehow. This is way more than having a helmet on somehow. I love uh, what, what Paul said in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. He says, take on as a helmet the hope of salvation. The hope of salvation. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about this. When you're going through challenges and you're going through warfare and you're going through trials and all sorts of stuff is blowing up in your life everywhere, he goes, the thing that's going to keep your mind saying the helmet's on the head is the hope of salvation. He goes, if you will remember what you're in this for, if you'll remember where you're going and what you're doing, he goes, as a helmet, put on the hope of salvation. It's like this. Things are exploding in your life and you're going, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know if you know my address or not. But, but, I believe and I'm confident in the one in whom I've believed. And I am heading somewhere that's not here. And if I'm not there, then this isn't the end. I'm on my way there. And my hope is in that, not in this mess. And my hope in that day is going to see me through the current mess I'm in today. Because put on, it'll keep your mind sane. You ever felt like you're losing your mind? Praise God. It's a gift from heaven. The reason why is because you have to hope in salvation. This is not about us getting by on our own. I tell you, you know what, you know what this life is in Christianity? It's us continually finding out, gosh, we can't do this. Hit the wall, poosh, you blow up. You come out of that, you go, whoa, I can't do this. Oh, Jesus, I am so broken. Help. Help God. And he starts helping. You're going, oh, thank you, Lord. Oh, help God more. Yeah. And, and you're just getting stronger and stronger. You go, praise God, I'm feeling good. Praise God. Praise. Push. Smashing the wall again. Oh, yeah. I can't do this. I can't do this. I don't ever want to be the guy that continues to slam my car into the wall over and over and over going, dang, that wall just, it won't move. Push. Push. Over and over and over. Why? What he wants you to do is slam into the wall so hard that you actually die. And you realize, I can't do this. But my hope is secure. Because one day, he, he's going to come for me. There's a place I'm going that's far better than this. I, I love it. Uh, Peter, he said it this way. He goes, uh, he goes uh, set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope completely, fully. He goes, I want you to set your hope on something. Do it fully. On what? The grace that's going to be brought to you for now. No, no, no. At the revelation of Jesus Christ. What grace is that? Well, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2. Here it is. In verse 4, he says this. God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, 
with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? Verse 7. Here's the grace that's going to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus. That in the ages to come, I love this, he might show the exceeding riches and his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Because God saved you. Why? To seat you in heavenly places. Why? Because in the ages to come, he's going to be the most generous host you've ever met. <laughs> did, you ever, did you ever have the wealthy person or the well-known person or maybe it was your boss or maybe it was somebody that was a public figure? I mean, I don't, I don't really have a good example in my own life, but I know what it can feel like when, when all of a sudden, the person that everybody knows, all of a sudden they favor you. And for no reason, they seem to favor you and, and buy you dinner and do things for you. You know, it's, it's like the, the wealthy guy and you, he's having a party. And you come as a, a, a friend of a friend, you know. Your friend got invited and your friend goes, hey, I need somebody to come with me. And you go in. And the host goes, there you are. You're like, I, I didn't even get in it. You know, I'm just, I'm a friend of the friend. He goes, oh, you're so awesome. Come here. He goes, come here, I want to I, I show you some stuff. And he starts showing you around his house. He goes, hey, I've got an extra car. You want it? Um, I don't know you. He goes, take it. He goes, I have a few suits. What size are you? Oh, 42 short. Take them. Perfect. He said, oh, man, I, you know, I heard you like pizzas. He goes, yeah, I got some Chicago style flown in just for you. Yeah, here it is. Don't tell anybody. This is yours. That he would show you in the ages to come his grace in kindness. Beloved, do you have any idea where this is going? You're about to be the favored guest of the most powerful, rich man ever. And his whole goal for the ages to come, is to be kind to you. Because I really want to be kind to you. You're like, really? Yeah, all, for, forever. That's what I'm going to do. Set your hope on that when you're going through junk. Put the hope of salvation. Set your hope on the grace that's going to be revealed. The kindness of God to you forever. And he goes, and take the sword of the Spirit. I'm landing. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You know, I was thinking about this. Sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. We've made that phrase kind of trite. The sword of the Spirit. Well, the Word is the sword of the Spirit. When the Spirit wields a sword, He wields the Word. The Word is the sword of the Spirit. Somehow, we've gotten to this place where we think that if you're really spiritual, you don't have to really be in the Word. And we think if you're really in the Word, you're just like not spiritual. You know, Spirit-led and experiencing Spirit power. But the sword of the Spirit is the Word. The unison of both of those empower Oh, that believers would fall in love with Jesus and the Word and wield the sword of the Spirit. I mean, my gosh. I'll tell you, Paul's mentality, he goes, I want you to be an able worker who's not ashamed, knowing how to handle rightly the Word of truth. He goes, I want you to know what the verses say and the power of these verses. And when you say them, you release spirit power. He goes, I want you to be an able worker, the one that doesn't have to be ashamed, but handles accurately, handles rightly the word of truth. So he's talking about a love affair where you get in the scripture and you so nourish yourself on it that you can handle it accurately. You can handle it rightly. And beloved, oh, for some believers that would love the word and love Jesus and love the spirit and speak the word of God with spirit power unto watching demons flee. Come on. 
That's what he said. He goes, the sword of the Spirit. He goes, after you get your mind together and you realize where you're going when you're in the trial, he goes, you take up the power of God, the sword of the Spirit, and you speak the word. He goes, and that will shift things. Oh, that's powerful. And I'll tell you, when the word has become a drudge to us, when the word is a duty or a discipline, and I understand you have to be disciplined, but I want something greater than human discipline to, to govern my life in the word. I want desire and delight. I want an eruption from my soul and desire of God and the, the riches of wisdom and the mysteries of God poured into my soul. I'm addicted to light. I want the word to dwell in me richly. I tell you, when I've been in those places where it's just a discipline, it's a drudge, I'm reading it, and it's just like five chapters, whoo, glad I got that done. There is no sword of the spirit in the word for me. It's just a trudge. But when the word is alive, when the scripture's enthralling me, when I'm finding Christ in the pages, man, my whole soul is being nourished. And, and the water of God's word is, is, I mean, thoroughly quenching my thirst. There is a power in proclamation of the word in those times, beloved. We don't comprehend it. This is not some sort of, listen, I'm not giving you the one, two, three. You just read the word, you speak the word, and boom, things happen. I'm giving you, fall in love with the word. Fall in love with the spirit. Get nourished and plenished with the word. And then proclaim it and watch supernatural power be released. That's what he's talking about. And he said, finally, pray always. Verse 18. Pray always with all prayer, supplication, and the Spirit. Be watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Paul's simple mentality of prayer was pray all the time. Pray all the time. You're always communing with the Lord, speaking to the Lord. You're always, the way I, I pray always, pray without ceasing is another way that he said it. I just think towards the Lord. I just, I just make my thoughts prayers. I just make it a constant conversation. I include him in all that I do all the time. So I'm always talking to the Lord. And, and, and I'm trying to always get my mind on the Lord and, and, and speak to the Lord and, and, and include him in what's happening with me. That's how you pray always. You continue flowing back and forth in communion with God. That was Paul's whole practice. He prayed always. And he tells this group that's trying to overcome a massive demonic stronghold in their city. He goes, absolutely, this is what you need to do as it relates to prayer. Do it all the time. And he goes, also, do every kind of prayer there is. Pray always, all manner of prayer and supplication. He goes, pray every kind of prayer you can pray and do it all the time. Beloved, therein... We have the recipe. We have the lifestyle practices and pursuits. We have the the way that he lays out the book. We have the lifestyle practices of pursuits and warfare. And then he ends it with two clear things. Prophetic proclamation and ceaseless prayer. Beloved, I believe this. I believe that people who will embrace the the picture of Ephesians, will embrace the, the track of Ephesians, they'll see strongholds fall in their city. Come on, hear me. We are fighting Jezebel in our city. And the people that will give themselves to what Paul lays out to his beloved little church that he planted that was like family to him, he lays it out, what? So they can destroy Jezebel in their city. Oh, beloved, this is a great track for us. And I believe as we'll, as we'll give ourselves to these things, the revelation of the beauty of Jesus, getting might in our inner man unto living out the cross, being a testimony to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. And then we embrace the, the lifestyle practices, the pursuit of truth and righteousness, the, the readiness to proclaim the, the gospel setting our mind on the the age to come and and the hope and the goodness of God that's to be revealed to us when Jesus comes. Trusting in Jesus. Powerful proclamations of the word and prayer. This is it. 
He, I mean, this is not rocket science. This is it. As we'll do that, I believe that we're going to see shifts in the atmosphere. I, I'm not maybe, I'm not trying to blow smoke. I'm really, really, that's where I'm at. And I want all oh, that we'd be a community that gives ourselves to this. Amen. Let's go ahead. Let's just stand. Come, Holy Spirit. Just engage with the Lord for a moment. Let's just allow the word to get settled in our heart. It's about allow it to prick us and provoke us. Come, Holy Spirit.